Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. I want to, I want to chat with you today, and this is uh, what I call a potluck message. It's one of those where, you know, um, I've done parts of this another time, and I haven't done parts of it, and... It's something that God was kind of moving on me with, and it's not part of a sermon series. Um, and I, I'm grateful because, I, again, like I said to you a few minutes ago, I learned some things. I suspect, well, first of all, without saying it, uh, how many of you learned something through this? How many of you think God's going to keep teaching you? Yeah, I, I, I think He is. You know, and uh, as pastors, you know, we, we, um, we, we talk together quite a bit, and um, we're planning a, a big community-wide event in, in July, uh, and so that's going to be at the fairgrounds, and we're part of that. And so uh, my good friend Billy Joe Henry from the bridge is kind of heading that up, and uh, we're all we're all kind of in this together. And so uh, that's really cool. I think I think that it, it couldn't come at a better time, really, you know. Uh, and so we're all going to be together in that. And the pastors, we meet together as much as we possibly can. We pray together north side and south side. We pray together. Uh, there, there's no jealousy amongst us as to how many people are running or, you know, what facilities they have or how much money they've got we, 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 or who's there. We don't, we don't do that. And, you know, I've never been in a community where there was, you didn't have that. So we are fortunate here in Terre Haute that in the area that we have pastors that aren't concerned about that. Now, I'm, there are probably some that are, but I'm friends with a lot of these guys. And, and it's good to be able to know that we can come together like that, you know? And the one thing that we have said is, you know, we, we, we weren't taught in seminary how to, how to deal with this because nobody expected it. You know, we weren't taught this. And so we're kind of learning as we go. And I, and I think, I know the country is learning as it goes. And I know people and businesses are learning as they go, yeah? And, you know, I think it's interesting because people are learning how to be families and parents all over again. And, you know, that's not a bad thing, is it? And so, you know, maybe this is God's way of slowing us down and making us focus on Him and get back to things that are important. And as I begin to think about that, I realize that the only way anybody wins through this or any pandemic or any trial or any trouble is if, if we have Christ. That's the only way any of us wins. Amen? And so um, in 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, and I'm going to read out of the New Life version today. I think I put NLT, but it's not LT, it's New Life version, not New Living Translation. Uh, and you probably don't have it, but you can follow along if you want. And turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and then scroll down to verse 14. There's four verses there I want to share with you. And in, in this epistle, Paul is, is clear that he's gone through some trials and struggles and things, and, and he has some words of wisdom for us as he writes to the Corinthian church the second time. Actually, it's the fourth time, but I'm not going to get into that. Um, 
basically, First and Second Corinthians are four letters, not two. A lot of people don't know that, but there's two letters in first and two letters in the second. How, anybody know that? Who knew that? Well, you just learned it today. Actually, I think I've talked to that before. Either way, so uh, this is the first part of the second letter, and Paul says in New Life Version, we thank God for the power Christ has given us. He leads us and makes us win in everything. Now, let, let that move on your head for a minute. He makes us win in everything. He speaks through us wherever we go. You know, now think about that for a minute because wherever you go, God is speaking through you. And if you are a Christian or you claim to be and people know that, then what you say is coming from Him. And if it isn't coming from Him, their perception is going to be wrong, isn't it? So we have to be really, really wise and really smart about what comes out of the mouth, yeah? Because we are His spokespersons. Notice He says, the good news is like a sweet smell to those who hear it. We're a sweet smell of Christ that reaches up to God. It reaches out to those who are being saved from the punishment of sin and to those who are still lost in sin. It is the smell of death to those who are lost in sin. It is the smell of life to those who are being saved from the punishment of sin. And then he says, who is able for such a work? We're not like the others. They preach God's word to make money. But we, he says, are people of truth and have been sent by God. We speak God's word with Christ's power, and all the time, God sees us. Now, there's a lot I could, I could bring apart, you know, take apart of that and, and disseminate. But this is what I have found. Through Jesus Christ, God is at work in all things to bring out every single possible good to those who love Him and are seeking to please Him in this life. You understand that? God is at work through Jesus Christ to bring out every possible good thing for those who love Him and are seeking to please Him in this life. So I guess you have to make a decision today. Are you trying to please Him in this life or not? That's, isn't that really what it boils down to? Are you or aren't you? Now, Paul says in Romans 8, 28, that we know in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And the Apostle Paul was incredibly grateful to the Lord for victory after victory that he experienced as he gave himself again and again and again in faith as well as in faithfulness to God's purpose for his life. Now, I know that Paul didn't, you know, just wake up one morning and decide his life was changed and different. God had to get a hold of him and, and prove it to him, didn't he? And he certainly probably didn't like the idea of what God was trying to tell him in the first place because he had another agenda on his mind. And I, I suspect that we all did. I know I did. And I, I, my wife will tell you that I ran from God and didn't want to do this. I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't see that as successful because to me, the pastor that all the pastors I ever saw were old guys with white hair that spoke about things I didn't understand or didn't care about. That's what I saw. And I'll bet you some of you are going to make cracks and some jokes about that too, aren't you? I'm not white-haired just yet. Now, I, two out of three ain't me out. 
Now, I know, I know that I'm losing my hair, and I'm, it may, I may lose it all before it turns white. I don't know. But what I do know is that we're going to have to be more relevant today than we've ever been before. And Paul knew that God had called him into something, and when you don't want to do what God's called you to do, He, he never lets you off the hook, and you're never comfortable. <laughs> Anybody ever notice that? And so that's what happened to me. And we find that Paul was always pointing to God as the source of everything that's good, what's beautiful, what's significant. And that, my friends, is always a winning combination because Paul did it. And we know he did it. So the question is, how can we then? And so as I begin to think about that, I, I have just three points to you today, and, and none of them are, are lengthy. And here, here's what's important. We win with Christ in our decisions. We, we do. We win with Christ in our decisions. And I realize that life is made up of decisions, right? Anybody know that life's made up? Who likes to make decisions? Who doesn't like to make decisions? Is anybody in between there somewhere? It kind of depends on the decision maybe. Yeah, you, oh, I don't know, right? Yeah? I mean, any college students, anybody in school? Okay, here's the deal. As, as a professor of theology and philosophy at Indiana Wesleyan, well, I'm not doing it now, but when I, when I do it sometimes, okay, I always have a different, I have students doing different things, okay? And here's what I have found. Some of them decide to study, and some of them don't. Some of them decide to do their labs, some of them don't. Some of them decide to actually put forth effort into their papers, and some don't. And some are kind of depends on the day. So maybe I'll study here. Maybe I won't over here. It kind of depends on what's going on in life. But you can always tell in the results, yeah? And I remember one time, I wrote, this kid wrote something. I can't remember what it was. And I wrote in red ink. I said, what were you trying to say? And he wrote back, I have no clue. <laughs> 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 I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. And so uh, we had some dialogue about that, and he said, listen, it was zero dark 30 in the morning. I had to study for every other thing, and yours was the last class because it's the last class I have, and, I, and I, just, I just didn't have it in me. And you know, I've been there. Right? We've all been there. You know, friends, but we still have decisions, and we don't always want to make them, but make them we have to. Have you ever known somebody that can never make up their mind? Maybe you, you've been at a restaurant with somebody, and, or you're with a group of people, and everybody's got a menu, and everybody's got an idea, and this one person, they keep flipping the menu, and they, they, or they start talking, and, they, and, they, and everybody's ready to order because we're all famished, you know. We're all hungry, right? Who's been there? And don't start, because it ain't time yet, so you don't, you're, you're good. Okay, so you, you, you're ready to go, and this person cannot make up their mind. I want to say her mind, because it's usually a girl, but not always. <laughs> not always. Don't. i got to be careful. Yeah. yeah, right? But there's always somebody in the group that can't make up. And then when they finally do make up their mind and the food comes, they go, well, I should order what you got, because I don't like this. Well, you spent four times as much time as everybody else. Or then there's that person that looks on a menu, and they want four or five different things, so they get four or five different things. Well, if I get this, will you try some of it? 
Right? Or maybe you're, you're, you're that parent who's got a kid and you said, if you're good, well, we can go to the dollar store and you can get a piece of candy or a toy or whatever. Don't ever do that because they will spend literally hours trying to decide which one. Right? And it's like, it's like, just pick one. Here, do this. Because it's not going to matter anyway. Pick one. And they can't. It's almost like, you know how a kid, you can tell when they got to go to the bathroom, they're always dancing around, you know, sometimes holding themselves. Kids get excited when they're trying to pick out candy or toys, and they do the same thing. Have you noticed that? And they can't make a decision. And you as a parent thinking, that's never happened to anybody but me in here. So you know what I do now? I tell my grandchildren, you can pick something from right here. That's it. And if you don't pick it, I will pick it for you. And it's going to be like that. So choose quick and wise. Some of you are writing that down, aren't you? You're going to do it. Yeah. And those of you who aren't parents yet, remember that. Okay? The truth is, when we don't or won't make a decision, sometimes the indecision is a decision. Isn't it? And there's going to be some people one day that's going to find out that their indecision for Christ is a decision. Huh? Huh? Am I right? Now, some of these decisions involve a choice of alternatives that are available to us, and other decisions confront us with no alternatives except to do or not to do that which must or should be done. And yet, the decisions we make from day to day determine our destiny sometimes. Yeah? And you know, where we are today has been determined largely by the choices we made or didn't make yesterday. Why? Because we're confronted with many doors of opportunity, and some of these lead to success and happiness, and yet others lead to defeat and despair. And it is of tremendous importance that we look to Christ who stands, friends, at every single why. You ever notice that? He stands at every single why on the road we're on trying to give us guidance. And, and all of us here today would likely admit that this is absolutely necessary, that we listen if we want to win. Because I have news for you. I have discovered that not only does Christ stand at every single why, so does Satan. In fact, if you really want to get serious about it, Satan has not only been at the why, but he's had a representative on your back the whole path up to the why. Anybody with me here? So how do we make decisions? Simple. The only way to truly make a decision and win is through the truths of God's Word and the guidance of His Spirit. Because Christ and His Spirit will help us to make the decisions that's going to lead to a winning life. Now, I know it seems like there should be more to it than that, but really there isn't. And people say, well, it's not that simple. <laughs> yes, it is. If you really want to get, if you really want to get down to the, the bottom part of this thing, to the base level stuff, 
It is that simple. Yeah? It really is that simple. At the why, you're going to make a decision, that which is godly or that which isn't. And you know, you and I both know that somehow we wish or we somehow think, and, and focus on me here for a minute. I know the kids are running around, but you need to focus on this because this is important, friends. It's important because in that why somewhere, this is why I've discovered. I want there to be some things in the middle of that, you know, where I can make a few, have a few other opportunities or, or to make a decision, but they're not. You want there to be those things, but they aren't there. And people say, well, it, it can't be that simple. But it is that simple. Either it's godly or it isn't. See, we want something that's not evil, but it's maybe it's not 100% godly, but it's not bad. That's what we want. And God says, no. No. When I return, you'll either be in or out. Now, people say it's not that simple. Yes, it is. It's just that simple. Well, maybe so, but you can't. Convert that to decisions. Yes, I can. Now, I'm not saying that one decision will keep you out of heaven. I'm not saying that. Nobody can say that. But I'm also saying to you that that decision could keep you out of heaven, depending on what it is. Now, come on. (laughs) So is it really that simple? Yeah, I think it is. And to be honest, we make it more difficult than it is. You know that person that can't make the decision in the candy store or in the menu or what, right? And now I'm not, no, somehow somebody's going to say, well, Pastor said that if I'm indecisive of things, I'm just that person. No, I'm not saying that. Okay? What I'm saying to you is that you have a decision to make as it relates to your decisions. <laughs> Either they're going to be through God's truth and His Word and His Spirit or they're not. And you know what, friends? You all know that you have made decisions that didn't match up with the truth of what God is is teaching us. Yes or no? Okay. Because the truth of the matter is, many people who claim to be Christians are asking God for help in their decisions, but they're only part-time Christians. I know that because I were one of them at one time. And I hate to admit it, sometimes I've still done it. I'll know that I I should probably let God enlighten me some before I make a decision, but I know what I want. Yeah? And I'm willing to admit that that's that's happened a time or two. Anybody? Okay. And I begin to think, well, if if I'm going to be a a part-time Christian, how can I expect God to guide all my decisions? And how can I come to Him with just some of them? Is it any wonder that God doesn't always seem to answer? Of course not. Of course, that's a sermon for, hmm, I think you're going to get it in the next coming weeks. But friends, facts are facts. Either you truly believe that God is who He says He is, and you love Him, you are completely obedient to Him, and spend time in His Word and with Him in prayer, I mean, a lot of time in both, so that He can influence you by the renewing of your mind and the molding of your heart. And when that's happening, your decisions will be godly decisions. However, when you don't do those things, then they won't be godly decisions. They can't be godly decisions. Because God 
doesn't operate through your feelings. Because your feelings change from day to day, don't they? I wish they didn't, but they do. And let's face it, we'll do things based on the feeling of the moment, and the next day think, man, I should never have done that. Anybody been there? Or I wish I'd have done, right? And every single one of us who has children and now grandchildren looks back and says, if I could, I would go back and change things I did as a parent. Anybody? A fact. Yeah. So it is simple. If you want to win in your decisions, well, then I think you know what to do. But if you don't, then don't. Secondly, we win with Christ in difficult times. And I, and, and I know sometimes people think there's no way I'm winning when, when times are difficult. But Paul says he did. Some people have, have the naive and mistaken idea that if they trust Jesus Christ and try to do what's right, that they'll never have any great difficulty in life. But friends, I have to tell you, it doesn't take for this illusion to be smashed. It really, it really doesn't. There was a song a number of years ago. Uh, I, I don't even know if Dolly Parton did it, but it's called, I Never Promised You a Rose Garden. Anybody, who, who, you're dating yourself. And some of, the, some of the kids are out there like, what? What was it called? And we could even sing it, couldn't we? Huh? Yeah. Because it was like number one, I think, or something. For, like, yeah, like for like 20 years or something. Right? And I, I, I identify with that because I know that God's basically telling me, even though it's through this ridiculous song, that he never promised me, and he didn't. God never said that. If you spend time in the Word, you know that there's nothing in there that can give you the impression that all things are going to be rosy and peaceful if you simply have faith in God and do the best you can. It would be nice if that were true, but it isn't. In fact, the Bible suggests that it likely is going to be just the opposite. And has anybody seen that? You came to Christ and you thought life was going to get better and it did for a little bit and all of a sudden, now it's almost worse. And isn't the devil powerful? Yeah, and, and listen, it starts having a, a massive impact upon you because now you start second-guessing, and the doubt begins to slide in. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? But friends, when we come to Christ and we obey His commands and seek to lead others in the same way, the enemy is absolutely going to oppose you in that. Isn't he? And if he doesn't do it, he's going to send a friend. <laughs> And sometimes he does it through other people too. Yeah? And I wonder how many of us could attest to that, that we know that that happens. We've seen it. We've experienced it. We know. And you've seen it in other people. And I think perhaps nobody has ever suffered as much because of his faith as the Apostle Paul did. And listen to his own words in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night... Three times shipwrecked. Wow. I spent a night 
in a day in an open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. He says, I have labored, I have toiled, I have gone often without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I don't feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I don't inwardly burn. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses, because the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is to be praised forever, knows I'm not lying. <laughs> I mean, I, I've been through a lot, you know. I, I've seen, you know, and I've been some pretty horrific things, okay? And some of you know when I finally opened up about my time in combat. I don't think there was a worse time in my life. Especially at 19 years old, there wasn't. That's pretty bad, my guy, my, my friends. I'm going to tell you right now, and here's the thing, though. I look at what Paul went through, and I think, wow. <laughs> right? His, his, mine was a, a, for a period of time, but his was like a lifetime of it, you know? Now, <laughs> I think how many of us can say we understand what Paul is saying, even though we might not have gone through all he did, you know? But then, how do we win in difficult times? I mean, right? Because when you're in difficult times, you don't feel like you're winning. Anybody? But the fact is, we all have difficulties and trials. When Paul wrote to the church at Caesarea Philippi, he expressed joy over the fact that all of the things that happened to him served to advance the kingdom and the cause of Christ. And even that, it enlarged it. He also wrote that through Christ, he had found strength to adjust himself. He had found strength to adjust his thinking. He found strength to adjust his opinions, his belief system, and most importantly, his attitude. And he did it in all circumstances of life. Now, let's face it. Every single one of us needs to adjust those things. Has anybody had a bad attitude or a poor attitude in the last two or three days? I didn't ask you to raise your hands. You can if you want. <laughs> huh? Yeah. But Paul said he wasn't writing about some tremendous achievement of a spectacular nature. No, he was actually writing in terms of finding strength through Christ to adapt himself while experiencing the most difficult of circumstances. That's, that's what he says. In fact, he reassures us that Christ has given us the ability to win even in our time of greatest trial and greatest trouble. In other words, when the tough times came, he didn't blame God. <laughs> and I have, right? I, I'm, a, I'm a big enough person now to tell you that I blame God sometimes. And sometimes I did it and I didn't know I was doing it. Because there just wasn't anybody else to blame, so God was available. Anybody done that? If you haven't, you will. <laughs> yeah? You don't want to say it, but deep inside, <laughs> huh? He didn't do that. 
Instead, he turned to Christ so he could get through them, and so should we. If we want to win in difficult times, even when we fail, well, that's what we're going to have to do. We've got to seek Christ. We've got to seek his word. We've got to have faith and hope in our eternity that that way, so whatever happens on this earth, it's just simply not going to matter. It's just not going to matter. In the end, we win. In the movie Young Blood, and some of you have, you know, you guys like this when I tell you about movies, don't you? Because if you haven't watched them, you'll go check them out. Who's done it when I tell you about a movie? I know you pick ice cream that I pick. <laughs> Nobody in here went and got Millennium Crunch when I told them about it. Well, you will after this. <laughs> Bluebell Millennium Crunch, I'm telling you. It's the bomb, man. And I'm not a spokesperson for Bluebell ice cream. However... It's good stuff. And they have some other stuff that's pretty good, too. Uh, that Kentucky blueberry whatever, uh, Kentucky blueberry cobbler, that's pretty good stuff. They got a pralines and cream is pretty good, too. Anyway, so what, I, what, I'm, what I'm saying here is, you know, there, there are things in life that, that will hit you in a way that you remember. And the movie Youngblood, made in the 80s, it's a, it's a, it's a, anybody know what I'm talking about? It's a hockey movie. Yeah? And this kid, Rob Lowe, was a young man then, <laughs> okay? Uh, he's a teenager. And uh, he plays this guy who lives in New York, but he crosses the border into Canada when you could go there without, without a passport. And, he, and, he, and he, he drove up there. His family took him up. His brother took him up there so he could play or try out for a junior hockey team because every one of those guys in there would do anything it took to get better and get an NHL team to call him. They all want to play professional hockey. And so he goes up there as a skinny American kid trying to play the game to the boys up north. And let's face it, they're all Canucks. That's their game. Yeah? Then you guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? Who loves hockey? I remember who, who went with us, me and Pastor Mike, up to Fort Wayne to watch the Fort Wayne Comets. And when the fight broke out, your two pastors were like this here. <laughs> you, you, right? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so hockey's a cool game, man. It really is. I was never good enough to play it, but it's, pretty, it's, it's cool. And I'm going to tell you, it's a, it's a rough game, especially when the fights break out. And in junior hockey, they let them go. They let them fight because they find out who's tough and who's not. And so he goes up there to play this game, and it, it's pretty, pretty soon you find out that this between him, there's a lot of guys trying out, but it's between him and this guy by the name of Carl Racky, who's just this big bruiser. All he wants to do is fight. Doesn't have any speed, doesn't score well, but he sure can't fight. This guy would do well on a brawl anywhere, okay? And so these two guys are going at it back and forth, back and forth, and what happens in the end is that Racky beats a snot out of Youngblood, just beats, beats him to a pulp, man. But this is what Youngblood says, because he's faster and more skilled, and he says, yeah, well, look where the puck's at. Yeah, you beat the snot out of me, I'm paraphrasing, you beat the snot out of me, but I scored and you didn't. And scoring is what wins games, not fighting. And so, friends, I, I've taken a lesson out, out, out of that page. How many of you feel bruised, beaten, and broken sometimes? Anybody? Huh? Like you've been fighting. Sometimes you feel like you're fighting against yourself, right? Sometimes you're fighting against God. You know, I saw Jacob wrestle with God, and I wonder what that's like. I think I know. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a physical thing. Nobody in here has ever wrestled with God, right? Huh? See? That's life. 
And you may find yourself battered and tired, but in the end with Christ, we win. <laughs> we win, even in the most difficult and tragic of circumstances. But those that don't have Him, don't. It's that simple. <laughs> Lastly, we win with Christ even when we feel defeated. I had to change it because I was going to say when we are defeated, but the fact is with Christ, you're never defeated. It may feel like that. It may look like that, but you aren't. Because the Word of God is filled with defeated winners. <laughs> Have you noticed that? The Word of, that's an oxymoron, I know, but, but the Word of God is filled with defeated winners. And this is an interesting thing. My friend, uh, uh, I, I've, got, I've got several friends, but my friend Steve Lennox, uh, used to chair the department, might still do it, in the West End, uh, religion and philosophy. And before him, Bud Benson did it. And, and listen, and, and these guys, every, every semester they would send us out, this is our theme, this is what we're trying to do with students. And uh, I had an exercise I used to do that Steve did one time, and, and I would have the kids write down their thoughts and belief systems on, at the beginning of a semester in a class, and then I, I'd take it from them. Then I'd have them do it again at the end. You would be surprised the difference right? That's experience learning, right? And, they, and they'll look at those things and say, what? I actually did that? Yeah, you actually did. Oh, I'm, that wasn't mine. Well, it's the same handwriting. You, you, you really did. You know, it wasn't osmosis. Somebody didn't change your thought process, you know, you, right? And isn't that life, though? And this is, this is the truth. You know, I've been, I've been a pastor for 30 years, right? I know I don't look that old, but I, I have. I've done it for 30 years. You can laugh. It's okay. That's meant to be a joke. But here's, here's the deal. Sometimes I'll look back at my notes. I, you know, I, did, I do, did my post-doctor work in apocalyptic literature, Revelation, Daniel, and, and, and you know, end time stuff, as many of you know. And so as I was doing that, I'll look back now at my notes at things I taught you know, before and look at them now and think, you dummy, Right? What were you thinking? Well, that's it. You weren't thinking because you didn't know spit. Has anybody ever done that? Yeah. You see, you change with experience. And, and, and you feel defeated sometimes, and sometimes those, those defeated times grow you into something greater. Have you, have you ever been there? Joseph is an example of somebody who experienced serious defeat in life, yet God was at work to help him out and experience victory. In fact, you ladies in our church just went through the patriarch study, and you know what I'm talking about. And, and now on Wednesday night, our Zoom service, we're studying Joseph during that time, and we find that Joseph had this incredibly firm faith in God, along with integrity and a desire for personal purity. So instead of remaining a slave or a prisoner his whole life, well, he became the prime minister of Egypt. And he did it when Egypt was at the top of his glory. Ezekiel was trained to be a priest in Jerusalem, and then this, this wicked and evil king and Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came through and invaded the country and carted off all the best people, and Ezekiel was one of them. And he made them slaves. And while Ezekiel was there, he had this vision from God and responded with this faith and amazing commitment to God. And, and instead of being a defeated person that didn't know what to do and self-centered, he became this amazing prophet encouraging people, and he even gave us an amazing manuscript to read. So instead of being destroyed, 
By defeat, he experienced triumph. In the same general period, Daniel also was taken into Babylon as a captive. Instead of giving up, pouting, crying, asking why, or pointing a finger or blaming God, what does Daniel do? He determines to be faithful to God. And did God ever use this guy? In fact, God showed him the panoramic view of the end times that haven't even happened yet. <laughs> he did it before Christ even revealed it to the rest of the church. Isn't that something? And this guy eventually became second only to the king of the country. And countless others in the Bible and throughout history have done the same. John and Charles Wesley, George Whitefield, who, uh, you know, of course, the Wesleys were uh, started the uh, uh, Wesleyan Armenian movement, in which many of our churches, you know, are Wesleyan Armenian. You know, I mean, just because we're Wesleyan church doesn't mean we're the only ones. I mean, all the United Methodist churches are, uh, Maryland is, um, all the evangelicals, they're all, those are all evangelical Wesleyan theologians. And then you have our Baptist friends, and George Whitefield was the one behind that in the Calvinism. He kind of picked up Calvinism and continued with that. And then you think about Peter Marshall who defied Hitler and went back to Germany when he could have stayed in the United States. Charles Spurgeon. If you've, if you've never heard a sermon from Charles Spurgeon, let me tell you something. He's my hero. He's Baptist, but he's my hero. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. That guy laid it on the line, and he told it like it was, and people, when he got done speaking, people were in tears, and they were running to the altar. And he said things that today people would be furious if you said them. Yeah. Francis Asbury, another one. Terrible things happened to him, and we have Asbury Seminary because of him. Even Pope John Paul II, probably the best pope in my lifetime. Amazing guy. And, and the heartache and what he had to go through trying to change a church and, and just a godly man. How many times they felt utterly defeated. All of them wrote about that. You see, friends, with God we win even when we feel defeated. Through Christ we can win over temptation even when we've been defeated in the past by the enemy. Because the devil might win some battles, but you know, he, he loses the war. Right? And I think when we're defeated by failing due to sinful practice or beliefs, God offers forgiveness, but He also offers cleansing. And not only that, He removes the guilt that the enemy will try to use to get us to remember the failing and keep us from restoration and being effective. You ever notice that? Even though you know in your head, and that's what the Old Testament people had problem with, even though they might have been absolved of their sin, the guilt was still there. And so it, it really handicapped them, you know. They held him back, and that's exactly what the enemy wants to do now. Don't let him, because Christ says, no, 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 <laughs> I brought freedom. Because even over this powerful entity, Christ rose from the grave and gave us victory. We can even win over death, and we have. Perhaps the greatest defeat that the natural human faces is death. But you see, friends, there are two types of death. There's physical and spiritual. It's been said by many that death is the last enemy of humans. I, I don't agree with that because those that say it don't understand that there's a difference between the two. Because even over this enemy, God will give His children the win through our faith in Christ. 
You see, if we really want to put things into perspective, physical death is not our enemy. We think it is. We look at it like it is. And I suppose in some manner, we're all afraid of it. And I think everybody tries to avoid it for the most part. The spiritual death is the real enemy, isn't it? Physical death for the Christian is really a win. And I know some younger folks maybe struggle with that at a funeral because they think, what do you mean? Well, I, I, I get it. I do. I didn't then, but I do now. Because the closer and higher in age you get, you know, it's kind of an inevitable thing, you know. But the fact is, physical death in this life brings us eternal life next. And I want to praise Him for the resurrection of Christ who gives us the win, don't you? Friends, I honestly don't know, like I told you before, where this COVID thing is going to end up. But I do know, again, that God is in control. And in Him, we win no matter what. It, it just it doesn't matter. We win. And I would think, shouldn't we join the Apostle Paul in saying, thanks be to God, which always causes us to, to triumph in Christ? I'm going to ask you today as our worship team comes, if you would be so kind, to express your gratitude this morning. We shouldn't wait for tomorrow to give thanksgiving and praise to God. We should be doing it with every breath we have, with every thought we have, every day, all the time. That's what we should be doing. Again, God's not concerned with where you've been. He's concerned with where you're going. In my very first sermon in this church 20 years ago, nearly 20 years ago, it's no kidding. Does that sound possible to you, Carol? 20 years. It's crazy, isn't it? Okay, 20 years. I said this, and maybe some of you who are here will remember that, and she's not the only one. Who, who was here when I came? Janet. There's a few others here. Okay. Uh, my kids were all here. Bob and Kathy, yeah. Okay, so this is what I said. You cannot go back in the chapters of the book of your life and make changes. They're already written. You guys remember that? Yeah? If you didn't, you should have, because this is the big one, and you should remember now. You can't go back and change those. Those chapters are already written. But what you can do is begin now. And if you change and you look at these things we're talking about today, a brand new ending could be written. <laughs> the chapters that are forthcoming could be different than how the novel was going to end. And you have that power and authority to change it today. Through him, you do. It's up to you. You don't have to succumb to the status quo. You can make a decision and change now. And you know what? What can God not do with the blank canvas that you give Him? 